Human insulin has been available in the U.S. market since 1982. But even as patents on insulin products have been expiring in recent years, insulin prices have been rising sharply. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Mariana Sokol, an assistant scientist in the Department of Health Policy and Management at the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health. Dr. Sokol has co-authored a prospective article about a proposed strategy for making insulin products more affordable. Dr. Sokol, could you start by telling us a bit about insulin products and how they've traditionally been regulated in the United States? In what ways is insulin different from many other commonly prescribed drugs? Insulin, like you mentioned, has been around for a long time. It has preceded the existence of the even concept of what is a biologic drug and how does a biologic drug differ from other non-biologic drugs. So insulin has been typically and traditionally regulated the same way that any other drug was regulated, which means that if a follow-on product were to come into the market to compete to a reference, for example, a branded drug, a follow-on product, for example, a generic, would have a more streamlined process of approval. Basically, insulin has this property that it requires a bacteria to be produced So it is a biologic drug by definition, but at the same time, it's small enough and chemically simple enough that it also shares properties with other non-biologic drugs. And so the regulation that was applicable to insulins for the longest time was very similar to any other regulations that ruled how generic drugs were approved and could come to the marketplace. But then the Biologics Price Competition and Innovation Act of 2009 changed that, and the regulation of insulin products became more complicated after that act became law. What changes did that law make to regulatory pathways, and how did they affect insulin products? So the new pathway that was enacted in 2010 acknowledged that biologic drugs have greater elements of complexity and uncertainty One, because they are more novel agents. Two, because their production processes are more sensitive to changes, for example, specific bacterial lines, specific proprietary production processes, and so on. And these molecules are also more complex. So the Biologic Price Competition and Innovation Act in 2010 established that for a biosimilar drug to be approved, different than small molecules, where a small molecule would only require demonstration of bioequivalence. So a small molecule would only require chemical and pharmacological studies showing that it's equivalent to the reference product. In the biologics world, a biosimilar, when applying to come to market, doesn't only need to show proof of bioequivalence or high similarity. It needs to show, in addition to these chemical and pharmacologic studies, it needs to show also clinical similarity. So clinical studies demonstrating that a patient with the condition being exposed to the biosimilar product can be expected to have the same clinical effectiveness, the same safety profile than the reference product. So first, the Biosimilar Price Competition and Innovation Act in 2010 established that Now, biologic follow-on drugs, which are called biosimilars, first they need to show more evidence. They have to also demonstrate clinical evidence of similarity, not only pharmacological and chemical. 
In addition to that, a second main difference between these two frameworks of approval pathways, a second difference is that upon approval, once, for example, a generic drug is approved, in the generic world space, a generic drug is automatically granted the possibility of being directly substitutable for the reference product in the pharmacy counter. What does that mean? It means that if a patient comes to the pharmacy with a prescription for the branded product, for example, the pharmacist may dispense a generic product without the need for a new prescription by the provider. In the biosimilar space, this possibility is not automatically granted upon approval. A biosimilar drug is approved, and if the pharmacist wants to dispense the biosimilar drug, it requires a specific prescription by the provider. Only upon submission of additional clinical studies, the FDA grants what they call interchangeability, which is the possibility for direct substitution at the pharmacy. Only upon a series of new clinical studies, it's actually called a switching study, that's when a biosimilar may be granted the possibility for direct substitution, which is interchangeability. And is it that regulatory change that has been driving these increases in the price of insulin? Not yet. This regulatory change is coming starting in March 2020 for new products that are going to be filing their applications starting in March 2020. And so far, we already don't have generic insulin. There's no generic products that have been approved in the previous pathway. And the FDA is attentive to the fact that for insulins, if this biologics framework were to be applied indiscriminately for insulins, it would generate this additional burden of evidence generation that insulins do not necessarily require because insulins like your first question indicated, they differ substantially from your typical biologic drug. Insulins are smaller. They have an extensive track record of use for decades around the world. Patients have a very clear biomarkers that they can take advantage of in order to check the effectiveness of this drug. It can be as fast as in real time, patients can ascertain if their glucose levels are responding or not to each product that they are using. And there's also ways that physicians can monitor the underlying condition of diabetes over the course of time. So one, the molecule is more simple, is less chemically complex. Two, there's no evidence in decades and decades of use of this product. There's no evidence for clinical concern about patients switching across products. And three, there is also the possibility of monitoring in accurate biomarkers and long-time monitoring of this condition as well. So this new FTA guidance, which would establish interchangeability, is designed to bring down those prices? Is that correct? The new guidance is designed to streamline the process for insulin. The FDA has acknowledged that the uncertainty regarding follow-on insulin products is lower as compared to other follow-on products for other complex biologics. The FDA has acknowledged that because this uncertainty is lower, the need for additional evidence should also be lower accordingly. Therefore, the FDA has signalized that for most insulin products, They will need an immunogenicity assessment, which is the manufacturer will provide evidence 
as to the uncertainty regarding that specific product that they are applying for a license. And if the FDA deems that uncertainty about that specific product is low, they will waive the requirement for these additional immunogenicity studies, which can mean that, for example, a drug will not need a switching study in order to be approved as an interchangeable product. So in its most expansive interpretation, this new guidance will mean that it may become easier for an insulin product to obtain this important interchangeability status. This is very important because of a few reasons. One of the reasons is the competition in the market, like you mentioned. For the regular follow-on biosimilars, for our average biosimilar, those don't have interchangeability status. Therefore, they do require new medical prescription. If insulins are streamlined in the process of obtaining their interchangeability status, that means that not only competition across products will be facilitated, because now the pharmacist may dispense one or the other product, also uncertainty for providers and for patients will decrease. This is something that often gets ignored in the conversation as we tend to focus on prices, because of course affordability of insulins is such a big problem right now, but there's also an element of certainty for patients and providers that in the world of biosimilars is very important. There is evidence that when a patient is exposed to information stating that in order to get this biosimilar insulin, they require a new prescription, we actually did a study, an experimental study testing that, patients' perspective on the similarity of this product is reduced. So when patients are told that they need a new medical prescription in order to obtain their biosimilar, it changes patients' perspective on the similarity of these products, and it actually reduces patients' likelihood to be willing to take this product. So it's very important also in terms of competition to make it cheaper and easier for new products to come into market. It's important in order to have products compete for price, so compete for being dispensed in the pharmacy, but it's also important for providers and patients to reduce the uncertainty around these products. You spoke about the ease of glucose measurement, about the long history of insulin use. In fact, how strong is the evidence that establishing interchangeability for biosimilar insulins won't increase the risk for patients who might switch from one product to another? Well, there's several sources of evidence supporting a very low uncertainty around insulin. The first source of evidence is the relatively simple chemical structure of insulin. So it's not a complex molecule like most biologic drugs. One piece of information that is important to mention is, for example, the size of the molecule is a very small molecule as compared to large biologic molecules. Insulin only has about 50 amino acids, whereas large biologic molecules like Humira, for example, they have way more than 1,000 amino acids in their composition. So there is the chemical structure that is more simple. There is also the long history of patients taking these products and alternating between products, sometimes because of doctor's prescription, sometimes because of availability and affordability of each product, but oftentimes because of insurer's decision. I mean, some insurers, they change their drug benefit from year to year and they change their preferred product. So patients must accordingly change the product that they are taking. 
And those switches have not been shown to generate any sort of worse clinical outcomes over time for patients. There's also plenty of scientific studies showing that even if a patient develops antibodies against insulin, which can happen, but there is no correlation between the generation of these antibodies and any sort of worse clinical outcomes or changes in the dosage of insulin that they need to take or changes in glucose control or changes in complications over time. So there's also no scientific evidence around this drug. Finally, what are the next steps for the FDA's draft guidance? And what do you think are the chances that it will ultimately be implemented as it's currently written? So the next steps are implementing it in practice. And even though the guidance indicates this possibility of streamlining the process, the FDA reserves the right to implement their policies on a case-by-case basis. So it is very important that follow-on products are filed after this change and that we observe how the FDA is going to implement this guidance in practice to the follow-on products. I mean, the European Medicines Agency has, since 2015, had a similar policy in place. So they have almost five years of experience having waived the need for immunogenicity studies for insulin products, and they have had no problems in terms of their follow-on products. So we expect that hopefully the FDA will implement the guidance as indicated in the next follow-on products that will be filed. Thank you, Dr. Sokol.